You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, Eagles fans, and welcome to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Yes, I'm Chris McPherson, joined as always by Alex Smith and Fran Duffy. Fellas, the offseason is in full swing. We are a week out from the NFL Scouting Combine, and some key dates are starting to come hard and fast here on the NFL offseason calendar. As we record this on Tuesday, it is the first day that teams can apply the franchise or transition tag yes. to one of their impending free agents. We'll delve into that. We'll talk about Fran's opus on Jim <laughs> Schwartz and the new Eagles defense, what we can expect from the new scheme. What was it exactly in your Eagle Eye column? 3,800? Yes. Words. Well, what was funny was I wanted to I wanted to call you to see what you thought a long piece would be, and I think you said it would, a long one would have been two thousand words and ended up being thirty eight hundred. So yeah. it went a little bit over. Just a little bit there, and uh, I'm going to look at the needs for the Eagles. There was an article that came out of Rotor World and uh, that prioritized prioritized what the Eagles have to do uh, to get the roster back on track, and you know I'll kind of go into that and uh, we'll discuss some of the different positions and we'll get into your questions on mailing it in. Thank you very much as always for downloading the podcast, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher. You can always subscribe to the Eagles Insider or our other podcast, whether it's Eagle Eye in the Sky, Journey to the Draft presented by AAA, as well as the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. Special shout out to our producers, Brian Thomas and Mark LeBlanc behind the scenes for helping make this happen this week. Uh, let's get into our first segment on the show, 3 and Out, where we look at different facets of this Eagles team going into the offseason. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three. Three. Now it's time for 3 and Out. All right, first up in 3 and Out, Alex, you're going to start things off uh, looking at the franchise tag, a little game of tag. Yes. You know, going back to our, our youth here, so to speak. Uh, what's the story with the tag, and will the Eagles use it this offseason? Well, <clears throat> it, w- it was good for me to actually do some more research into the franchise tag because it's kind of a term that gets thrown around, and I think people have a general understanding of what it is, but really just kind of going deeper into that and breaking down the different kinds of tags, exclusive versus non-exclusive, the transition tag, and how it all goes into effect. Uh, I-, I learned a lot, and I, I think it was uh, it was a good lesson, so... Uh, just looking at the cap right now, what looking at the tags right now, and there are, are three different kinds of tags. Um, the exclusive tag, which means that if you tag a player, so if the Eagles tag Sam Bradford, no other team can negotiate with them. And that's going to be the most expensive tag. And looking at some of the estimates right now, these are from NFL.com, it would cost $19.6 million uh, for one year to, to f- use the franchise tag. Uh, and once a player signs that tag, it's fully guaranteed. So if you're saying, if fans out there are saying the Eagles should franchise Sam Bradford, you're going to have to pay him basically $20 million for one season, and it's all guaranteed. Um, so all, a lot of the, you have to keep all that in mind when you're talking about you know, whether you should use a tag, whether you shouldn't. Um, there's a non-exclusive tag, which means that um, they can sign an offer sheet from another team, but if the Eagles in this case would match, then the Eagles would receive, uh, if the Eagles didn't match, they'd get two first-round draft picks. Um, and then the transition tag, which is the cheapest option, um, which would give the Eagles to chance, a, t- a chance to match any offer sheet, but they wouldn't get any compensation for it. So uh, in regards to the franchise tag, and obviously Sam Bradford is the guy that everybody talks about uh, and whether the Eagles should use it this year, 
it's it's hard to say. It goes up in the air. And if you look back at some of the Eagles' recent history with the tag, they used it on Michael Vick in 2010, and then they used it on Deshaun Jackson in 2011. But in both of those cases, I believe they re-signed them to long-term deals shortly after. Correct. So it wasn't like they just stayed on that one-year deal. They, they got the deals done quickly. And then, guys, we remember last year, Jeremy Macklin, the Eagles didn't use it, and we kind of know how that turns out. So, um, it, you know, you kind of go back and forth whether they should use it, whether they shouldn't, but it was good for me just to get a, a better understanding of exactly what each tag would mean. Well, and I think it's also it's important to note that just because the Eagles were to tender a player they doesn't they don't have to sign it. Now, right. now you're very reliant on the player signing it, and that's when the money is given to the player. So I think I don't know what the numbers are, but it's pretty rare that as soon as the, the tender is thrown out there that a player signs. And I think mm-hmm. it happened one time last year out of the seven or eight players that were tagged in the 2015 offseason. And then the, really the big thing that you want to take into account is all that does is it extends the window right, to, to get an extension done or to get some other kind of compensation and work out a deal with another, kind of, another team mm-hmm. in the NFL. So I think that, you know, that that's what you're looking at now if you look at the franchise tag is it extends that window to try and get, it, get something done. I think it's rare that players actually play off the franchise right. tag. I, I don't know what the, again, I don't know what the numbers are. I didn't do the research on it that you did, but mm-hmm. I think it's pretty rare that a guy would sign a tender and play off of that contract. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's rare to find. It's interesting because typically punters and kickers yeah. are the ones who sign it or yes. apply it the most, and they're the ones who end up playing under that because what it's what a good the numbers deal. here? It's, it's going to be $4.5 million this year. Look, for one year, if you know that your kicker or punter is one of the best in the league, fine. That's the going rate mm-hmm. for the top five at that position. You go with that. Right. You know, you don't have to commit that long-term money to see if they're still worth it down the road. You made a great point, Fran, in terms of this as a negotiating mm-hmm. tool to be able to keep those options open, and that's really what happened with Deshaun Jackson and Michael Vick mm-hmm. years ago. The thing will be here with the Eagles and Sam Bradford is – now, they don't have to apply it today. They have until March 1st. Of course. So they have a couple of weeks. And usually the next week at the scouting combine, that's when all the NFL decision makers, all the agents are in the same city. So that's when a lot of these you know, free agent deals with, within the teams, that's when they talk the contract. So they'll all be in the same place so they can try to hammer it out to see what they want to do. Now, it's rare to see a franchise-type quarterback hit the open market. Sure. Right. And, of course, we're going to all say – you know, it happened with Peyton Manning a couple of years ago, based coming off the injury, lost season. It happened with Drew Brees. Yeah, it's happened on occasion, but rarely does it happen. The question for the Eagles, of course, is do you want to have Sam Bradford back for the one year under the franchise tag and have him be a bridge to another quarterback? Do you want to try to negotiate a long-term deal with Sam Bradford, or are they willing to just move on altogether right. from Sam Bradford? Yeah. So it seems like all the options are on the table at this point. But obviously there are other free agents. It doesn't have to just be quarterback. It could be used on, you know, safety Walter Thurman, defensive end Cedric Thornton, you know, the other free agents that the Eagles have coming up. But obviously everyone is focused on the quarterback position because that's going to be the most high profile Mm -hmm. of the players and it's also going to cost the most money for the team. Well, just running through some of these numbers, uh, again, these are estimates from NFL.com. Quarterback's going to be the most expensive, obviously, at $19.6 million. Looking at some of the other positions that you just mentioned, uh, C-Mac, defensive tackles, $13.4 million, if you wanted to use it on Cedric Thornton. Uh, and then safety, it's $10.6 million. 
And I think that's interesting because cornerback is $13.7 million. So if you're Walter Thurman, a guy who's played both in the past, and you know he said, you know, however teams value me more as a cornerback or a safety, there's kind of that interesting you know, gray area that teams can work with. So, um, But like Fran said, it's really just a chance to give yourself you know, more time to negotiate before a player hits the open market. So, But um, we'll see what happens. Now, it has happened in the past where the Eagles applied the tag and then pulled it. I think it was Corey Simon it was. that happened to yep. years ago where you know, they were just at an impasse. Mm-hmm. Nothing was going to get done. Simon didn't want to come back. And they were just like, you know, I think the Eagles had tried working out trades. They eventually did down the line, but, you know, they were going nowhere, and they just pulled the tag and said, you know what, just be a free agent and we'll move on. I think they did, they did the same thing with Jeremiah Trotter as well. Correct. Um, and, you know, the thing about it is teams can pull the tender back, and at that point all the other NFL teams have kind of spent their big money. So it kind of hurts the players yeah. in a way if they, don't, if they don't sign the tender. So There was a player last year, was it Alex Mack last year, that – was franchise tagged by Cleveland, and then Jacksonville gave him. A, didn't they sign him to a sheet, or was that just reports? I mean, I just remember that was the one remember. case last year where one player was signed to a tag, and then there was talk of compensation. But then he ended up going back to Cleveland, yeah. and now going into this offseason, Mac is once again a free agent. A lot of people think he's going to end up with Jacksonville. So it'll be very interesting to see. But obviously, all eyes are on what the Eagles do at the quarterback position. We'll go touch more on the quarterback position in a moment, but first, Fran. You had a chance to go through the tape. You looked at Jim Schwartz and what he did as a head coach of the Detroit Lions, what he did during his year with the Buffalo Bills, working with Doug Marone when they were together in 2014. What did you come away with, learning uh, all about Jim Schwartz and uh, his defensive philosophy? Yeah, you know, it's a really fun scheme to watch. It's a really fun defense to watch. Really what it does is it's all about, and he has said it, he said it on this exact set, talking to Dave Spadaro when he was first hired, and it's about attacking. He lets those forward players up front get to the quarterback and you're attacking you're still being able you're in a position to defend the run but you want to be able to get after the quarterback and everything's all about disruption and getting after the passer because and he said he actually said it here was the best way to force turnovers is to get after the quarterback so you're forcing the quarterback into mistakes you're forcing to throw interceptions you're forcing fumbles uh, and you're really just speeding up the process for the offense and not making them feel comfortable the more I watched the more I saw it's not a heavy blitz scheme you know, there's a lot of stunts up front with the four men, but really it's reliant on that four-man rush. They do lots of different things to try and create that rush, and some things we've seen here in Philadelphia over the past few years. You've seen those TE stunts with, you know, Connor Barwin and Brandon Graham lined up next to each other. You see, you know, Vinnie Curry slanting inside behind Fletcher Cox. All those kinds of things that we've seen under Billy Davis and Jerry Asinaro in the past three years. We're going to continue to see those type of things. And really, it's just going to be fun to watch, especially because on the back end, too, and not a lot has been said about what happens on the back end. Mm-hmm. But when you only rush with four, that gives you seven people on the back end to do all different kinds of things from a coverage standpoint. allows you to be very creative. allows you to be very flexible from a play call standpoint. If you want to try and eliminate Larry Fitzgerald or Odell Beckham, whoever the primary target is in the passing game, you can do that. If you want to play heavy zone coverage, you can do that. If you want to uh, do different things from uh, you know, a bracket or a zone, uh, a zone trap standpoint, you can work on those things. So it, it gives the coordinator a lot of flexibility from a game planning and a play calling standpoint. I had a, a piece sent to me over the weekend. Yeah. It was written by Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News and talked about how when Rex Ryan became the head coach of the Bills last offseason, there was talk initially of having Schwartz stay on, but Schwartz was wondering what would that mean because obviously Rex Ryan is a defensive guru. And then Schwartz found out that Dennis Thurman, who was eventually hired to be the defensive coordinator, was moving into his office when it was technically still his office. Yeah. But 
some of the big differences there in that from a playbook standpoint, Schwartz, not that it's a simple scheme, but keeps things simple for the players, where the play calls would be a single word or something like we saw here with the Eagles with Chip Kelly on the offense exactly, standpoint. Right. They made it very easy so they knew what the call was and they can go out and execute and were able to, like you said, just attack and not be thinking and have their minds, you know, trying to, you know, conjure what exactly the offenses are trying to do. They could just go out and get after the quarterback and do what they were built to do. And it kind of just illustrated why some of the players who thrived for Jim Schwartz a year ago, two seasons ago now, struggled last year for Rex Ryan. One of them, Mario Williams, who reportedly will be released and could become a free agent this offseason. Yeah, and the, the big thing is, is when you make things easy for your front four, it then makes things easy for your linebackers, too, because let's say you're, let's say you're a linebacker, you're Jordan Hicks, okay, and you're watching Fletcher Cox and Benny Logan directly in front of you, and you see that Fletcher Cox is going into the playside A gap and Benny Logan is going into the backside B gap, you know you're going, you're going backside A gap. Like that, that's the gap that's filled, I'm, I'm hitting it. You're not doing as much thinking. You're seeing and you're reacting and you're going. For the guys playing up front, you're just trying to get to, that, to the quarterback. And he, I actually watched a couple clinics and watched Schwartz speak, and it was really, really interesting trying to you know, glean whatever information I could off of his philosophy and the way that he wants those guys to play. He wasn't as worried about rush lanes, and that's always a big thing when you talk about you know, with defensive coaches about what they want to do, you know, getting after the quarterback. Well, you got to worry about making sure you keep contained. He's not worried about if they play, you know, if they play Tom Brady, if they play Peyton Manning. He's not worried about Peyton Manning escaping through the backside. If he does, that's great. We're taking him out of his comfort zone, taking him away from the pocket. We're fine letting him try and break contain. If you're playing you know, Cam Newton or if you're playing Russell Wilson, then you've got to worry about it. But he's all about taking quarterbacks out of their comfort zone. And his big thing is taking away what you do well. So you know, that, that's why I, I mentioned the, the original origin. It's funny how things come full circle. The original origin of the wide nine was to stop Howard Mudd and that stretch run game from the Indianapolis Colts. So it was all about stopping the run and putting a, a big defensive end on the outside, forcing them to run from a different direction. Uh, and he's all about trying to stop what you do well. So whether it's you know, having extra bodies in the back and to take away a receiving threat, to get after the quarterback and force him out of the pocket, whatever it is that you do well, he wants to take that away. He keeps things simple for the players. It's a really aggressive scheme. I'm really excited to see it take place. Yeah, and I find it really interesting that the big misconception with the wide nine is that it's all about, you know, getting rusher, getting uh, pressure on the quarterback from those outside DNs, giving them, you know, a good lane to work with and a lot of space to work with. And part of it does go into that, but it's really about funneling the run back inside uh, and using, like you just said, friend, using those defensive ends to set the edge. And I think Connor Barwin was really good at that in 2014 at setting the edge. I think he was one of the, the best in the league at doing that. Um, so if he does, in fact, move into the, back into that defensive end spot in the 4-3 and he has to set the edge, I think that's a really good fit for him. And think about this, too. And I know fans are – it sends a little bit of a, a tingle down their fan spine when you hear about wide nine in Philadelphia. I think the big thing when you – keep this in mind. What was the personnel like back in 2012? And obviously the coaching staff was a lot different. And, you know, you had Jim Washburn running the wide nine and there were different things going on in the back seven. Everybody wasn't always on the same page. Who was playing a defensive tackle? You had Fletcher Cox as a rookie. Mm -hmm. You had Cullen Jenkins, who was still here at linebacker. It was, you, know, you had Casey Matthews going in and out. You had Akeem Jordan and Moses Foku. Now you've got Jordan Hicks. Now you've got Michael Kendricks and, uh, and Kiko Alonso, guys who have had success in the NFL and have played at a very, very high level, come with a much higher pedigree with, than what those players had. I think when you have that personnel inside, it's just going to make the scheme much more effective. I loved how Schwartz, he was on the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Sparrow, he was asked about the linebackers. What do you look for from the linebacker position? 
and he discussed that they need to have the vision and instincts almost like a running back yeah. because all the chaos is going to happen up front. They're going to wreak havoc trying to get to the quarterback. Well, the linebackers have to clean things up quickly, so yep. they got to fill in those gaps and make sure that nothing uh, breaks contained. So it's going to be very important for them to have that vision and, and instincts to be able to fill those lanes yeah. as quickly as possible. Yeah, and that's, that's why I mentioned before, when you, if you're Jordan Hicks and you see where Benny Logan yep. is, where Fletcher Cox is, here's my gap, this is where I have to fill. When you have guys that can move and they can run well, Kiko can run well, Michael Kendricks can run well, Jordan Hicks can run well. You have those three guys that can play inside but then also close, close ground in a hurry. It's going to make for good things. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what the Eagles want out of those backside positions there yeah. to kind of complement what they're doing up front. So my piece is going to be more on what are the needs for this team. We're getting ready to the combine. I think this is when the casual fans really get into the draft and you start hearing about the big names. And I think everything starts to come to reality almost, so to speak, that you can tell that the draft is really on the horizon. And Evan Silva of Roto World did a thorough list, a very comprehensive look at each team's needs. And he also did a ranking of teams' rosters as they currently stand. And looking at the Eagles, he ranked number one, the number one need is quarterback. No surprise in my estimation there. You don't know what's going on with Sam Bradford. Mm -hmm. You know, he's yep. set to become a free agent. Currently, Mark Sanchez is the only quarterback on the roster under contract for 2016. Mm -hmm. And certainly, you know, is there anything that Doug Pearson could do and Frank Wright can do with Sanchez after the turnovers that he's had uh, the last couple of seasons? Two games that he started, the Eels were blown out in both of them. Mm -hmm. So that's something that definitely has to be addressed. I thought was interesting was that Pearson did an interview with uh, 6ABC Action News, a one-on-one -on -one sit down, and was asked about Sam Bradford. And he said, I think Sam Bradford, uh, the quote is, I've told him, Bradford, that he's very capable of leading this team deep into the postseason. Yeah. And this is a quarterback who's never won, I don't know if he's ever won eight games. He's never had mm -hmm. a, a 500 record. Um, you know, he's never been to the playoffs. He had mm -hmm. the one chance his rookie season where they, they had that uh, the play Play-in. or go home. Yep. In Week 17, they lost to Seattle. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, you know, this past season was his best chance right. to get to the postseason. So, you know, that's high praise and that's a lot of confidence in him. But you still have to get the deal done. And Pearson said, "Look, Sam's going to be a hot commodity. I can't blame him for being, you know, a potential top free agent about to hit the open market. And teams are going to pay for you." Especially when you look at the quarterback position on the market. I mean, Kirk Cousins is set to be a free agent, but it, it really looks like he's going to end up back in Washington. Certainly. He's uh, definitely a candidate for a franchise tag. Uh, Brock Osweiler, uh, who else? Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, there's, there aren't that many potential, there aren't that many players with higher ceilings, I think, than Sam Bradford on the quarterback market. So the second position was defensive back. Yep. And Walter Thurman set to be a free agent and mm -hmm. you know what does he want to be does he want to be a safety where he had success this past season or does he want to be a cornerback how would the eagles in the new defense view him mm -hmm. you know are they going to want you know the bigger more traditional safety or do they want you know are they fine mm -hmm. with a ranging ball hawk right like thurman back there to compliment jenkins um so it's gonna be interesting to see if the eagles can get deal done with him known carroll is on the record as saying that he wants to come back. He did an interview in the last week with uh, Comcast Sportsnet mm -hmm. and said that he would love to come back to Philly, even though it seems like right now you have Byron Maxwell as a starter at the one cornerback spot. Mm -hmm. And Silva thought that Eric Rowe looked lost as a starter, I thought, and you've written this many times, Fran, how he acquitted himself nicely. Mm -hmm. 
down the stretch and I thought made you know leaps and bounds in terms of his improvement and I think should be the starter I don't know is there any discussion that he could go to safety I mean that's I, that's a valid question uh, to me he's a starter for this team whether it's at corner or at safety yeah. I think he's shown that he can be adequate at safety at least and with room much more room to grow I think that that's gonna be an interesting storyline to follow yeah. where's he more valuable I think he's right. more valuable as a corner well of course that's where I would want him and I agree I think that's why the franchise well. number is higher for for right. the cornerback position right exactly um, question who's going to be your nickel next year right right you know that's a big question mark it was Malcolm Jenkins for good chunk right. of 2015 Jacory Shepard showed signs of promise as a rookie the Eagles were high on him but what will the new coaching staff think of him you'll still have Corey Onlin so obviously he'll have his input there but uh, he's coming back from the ACL injury so there's no definitive answers there so definitely some holes but the number three position for Silva I think really should probably be number two, and that's going to be the offensive line. You know, you've got solid pieces in Kelsey at center, Lane Johnson, who's locked up long-term at right tackle, Jason Peters, when he's healthy, and that's going to be the big question with him going into the upcoming season. When he's mm -hmm. healthy, he was still on top of his game, but he battled injuries throughout 2015, and it obviously took its effect. The guard positions, they're going to have to be addressed, you know, whether mm – -hmm. It's a guy like a Malcolm Bunch or a Brett Boyko who, who develop. Whether you do draft, whether you do free agency, they've got to improve the interior of the offensive line to get the offensive line and the offense overall back to where it was before the 2015 season. And we know that um, I think Alan Barber was really a favorite of the, the Chip Kelly coaching staff. And I think Alan Barber is a good player. I don't know if, if he's necessarily a, a starting caliber player, if, if, he, if there may be better talent available, but... Um, so you have some you have some depth there, I think, uh, some versatility at least uh, with guys like Barber. I think Matt Tobin stepped in and played well, uh, well at times, of course, up and down, but um, definitely looking to upgrade those positions. And uh, with you know nine draft picks, it, it could be a spot where the, the Eagles use multiple picks at that interior offensive line. Hey, looking back at last year, because Dave Spadaro wrote his on the inside column about the offensive line and how it's been neglected the last couple of years, and we all know the the fact that Lane Johnson's last draft pick to be used along the offensive line. They haven't used any since then, and every team has used at least one in that time period. But going back to last year's draft alone, second round, Eagles select Eric Rowe. Mm -hmm. Would you rather have Eric Rowe or Jake Fisher, who was drafted by the Bengals, or Mitch Morse, who went to the Chiefs, or Rob Havenstein, the tackle from Ohio State? I mean, I feel good about having Eric Rowe. Mm. Not that those other players aren't good players, but I'm happy having Eric Rowe here. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, the big question that I would always say back in the summer when everyone was worried about And look, it, obviously it turned out that offensive line wasn't an area of strength Certainly. for the Eagles, and we can go back and say, oh, yeah, well, we were right. But, you know, if the, if the Eagles had drafted a guard in the sixth round, was he going to be the savior of the offense last year? No. Yeah. Like, I, I, obviously, look, they, they need help and they need competition along the offensive line in a couple different spots. But uh, because they didn't draft a guy in the sixth round, I don't think that you know, that was right. the reason why th th there was failure there. I think that really what it comes down to is just bringing in talented players, and, and it may require a, a third-round draft pick that could, could potentially come in and start. It may require uh, a mid-to-high-level free agent to come in and uh, be ready to start. I don't know how many of those guys are going to be on the open market, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, that's something to watch moving forward. But that's, that gets into the whole, and we can save this discussion more for Journey to Draft presented by AAA. It's more of the best player available. Right. So obviously mm -hmm. offensive line would be a need, but third round last year was Jordan Hicks. 
Juwan Him or Jeremiah Putasi or Trey Jackson, who started for the Patriots right. this past season. You know, if you don't have it, Jordan Hicks right now, where where are you? In line then after, exactly. Right? So it's one of those things where as long as you're picking good players, it's fine. But obviously, they're going to have to address offensive line at one point or another. Um, another thing to know about the offensive line, um, and this goes back to the Bradford trade. And I know Eagles fans, I'm sure the Eagles executives wish they had that second round pick, you know, that they sent to St. Louis as part of the Sam Bradford deal. Um, but if the Bradford, you know, and they could still sign him to a long-term deal, but if everything was crystal clear that he was going to be an Eagle for the long term, mm -hmm. you would say that second round pick would be nothing because you're yep. getting yourself a franchise quarterback. I just look back to what the Eagles gave up to get Jason Peters mm. back in 2009. They gave up a first, yep. a fourth, and a sixth, and signed him to an extension worth $53 million yep. in new money, which basically paid him about $10 million a year. This is back in 2009. Yeah. So, to me, is if you get the move right, the cost doesn't really make it that big of right. a difference. Because, and it's, it's exactly like you said. If you know, Basically, what the trade kind of amounts to is that you traded a second-round pick potentially for a long-term deal with Sam Bradford. And, you know, if he's, if he's a winning quarterback, if you said that you could have drafted a player like Sam Bradford in the second round of, of the draft, right. you would have done it. Because I think he's, he's proven to be a really a, a talented quarterback. He, I think he's a, a pretty good decision maker. I think he got more comfortable as we went along, as we've talked about throughout the season. So basically it would be, giving a, it would be using a second-round pick to get Sam Bradford, and you know, if he turns out to be the guy, and they work out the contract, and he he sticks around, then I think it's a really good trade looking back at it. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's different using a second round pick and having that quarterback in your in the rookie wage scale for four years. Of course, sure. definitely yes. helps your salary cap. Yeah. But you got to pay for quarterback. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. You got to pay for top notch quarterback play in the league. Seattle's been very lucky to have Russell Wilson. Right. You know, with the rookie wage scale, Indianapolis with Andrew Luck, and we're going to see it with Tennessee and. Tampa Bay in the next couple of years with Mario and Winston, respectively, that they'll be able to take advantage. The hope is you draft the right guy, you can build around him so that you're competing in years three and four, that by the time that you have to pay the quarterback, you've got something yep. set in place. Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback position. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, for definitely the next couple episodes yeah, here. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Actually, are we going to be uh, off next week? We are off next week. For the combine. We are, we are going to be out in Indianapolis. So you leave Monday. I leave Monday. You leave Tuesday. Yes. So. I'll miss you guys. Yeah. Another, I'll just, another be, I'll just be sitting here all alone. Watching the combine. <laughs> I'll sit at this desk and pretend you guys are here and ask questions to you guys. And, <laughs> well, we've got uh, very extensive combine coverage. So yes. uh, there will be a lot to get to next week. Certainly. Uh, I can only imagine what my desk will look like when I get back, to say the very least. You'll have to see. So... Well, that's going to do it for our, seg our three and out segment here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now it's time to get to your questions on mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, time to get to your questions here on Mailing It In. Some great ones this week, and we have a special surprise for you all. At the very end, first question comes from Stacy Clem at ClemAngel18411 on Twitter. She wants to know, what are the Eagles going to do for quarterback? 
She thinks Bradford needs more time in Philadelphia. Thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts, and the problem is that I can't organize them because they change seemingly every other day. You know, some days, you know, I'm really confident Sam Bradford. I love, I like the body of work that he put together from the start of the season and how he progressed towards the end and, you know, kind of the grits and the guts that he showed towards the end. Um, and I just think that, you know, raw talent-wise, I think Sam Bradford is, is really good. Um, the question with him has always been, you know, staying healthy, putting it all together. Um, and again, I kind of, I waver back and forth of, you know, should, should they lock him up or... If, you know, if you're Doug Peterson and the new coaching staff, do you want to draft your guy and develop your guy? Um, and I, I go back and forth on it, so I want to know what your guys' thoughts are. Grits and guts, is that a dish you had in Mobile? I did. I it's close, did, halfway I had, there. Yes, had yeah. some shrimp and grits, yeah. for sure. Uh, grits had and a, guts. Way too, many, way too many shrimp on the trips to uh, <laughs> There was that place uh, we passed called Wacky Guts, right? Wacky, <laughs> wacky shrimp. Yes. The fact that I didn't try wacky shrimp. As BT laughs in the background. I really wanted to try wacky shrimp, and you guys laughed at me for wanting to go. Well, there. well what is a wacky shrimp? We don't know yet. We didn't oh. try it. But we, but we apparently you guys drive by it. We drive by on it the way year. to practice every year, yep. and I wanted to try it, and you guys laughed at me. Well, to to answer the question, as we get back <laughs> on topic, before we go too far down that rabbit hole, um, you know, I think that, and this isn't this isn't a cop out answer. I think that. The only right answer is the answer that Doug Peterson gives us. He, he's the new coach of the team. He wants it in his image. He wants the offense in his image. If he decides that he wants to make Sam Bradford his quarterback, that's the right decision. If he decides that he wants to go for a rookie quarterback and make that his, his quarterback, that's the right decision. If he wants to bring in somebody else to be his guy, or whether it's long-term or short-term, that's the right decision. Obviously, we'll all be able to look back in three, five years and look back and say, oh, it was wrong. But Whatever he feels is the right thing to do will be the right thing to do because that's what he wants for his team and for his offense that he's putting together with Frank Reich. So that's why I'm just excited to see it all unfold. And it'll be interesting to watch that offense and that side of the ball really come together based off of who the quarterback is. The thing is, there is the financial element here. Right. It's not that you can just say, hey, we really like Bradford, we think right. he's talented, boom, let's bring him back. It's got to be at a certain cost, and you've got to weigh that against what's going to be available in free and see in the draft and what you want to do with your team long term. Right. Now, for Coach Peterson, I'm sure he's probably saying on the one hand, what's the quickest way to turn this team around? You know, Jim Schwartz is coming in and he's inheriting some great talent on that side of the football and there's already some good pieces on the offensive side and we've seen what Peterson and Reich have done in their previous stops. You know, if you have a veteran quarterback come in, maybe you turn things around quicker and that helps your cause. Or are you willing to say, what is better big picture? Do you get the rookie quarterback, develop him, build up the rest of the team? And mm -hmm. as Pearson said in that sit-down interview he did with 6ABC, you know, you don't have to put it all on the quarterback. You know, you can do things in other areas to take pressure mm -hmm. off whomever is in there, whether it's Bradford, you know, a free agent, a trade, person acquired trade, rookie, whomever. Mm -hmm. There are other things that you can do there. So, um Again, I agree with you, Fran, that it's certainly going to come down to what Pearson wants, you yeah. know, but I think if you're saying what gives us the best chance for 2016, you know, it's probably Bradford, but mm -hmm. at what cost? Right. And then big picture, is that the best thing for the football team? Right, and I also go back to just some of the comments that we heard from some of the players inside the locker room when they were asked, you know, hey, do you guys want Sam Bradford back next year? I think it was Jason Kelsey and Zach Ertz were really adamant that, you know, we really like Sam, especially Zach Ertz. He talked about, you know, the chemistry that – they developed together, um, and how he Ertz kind of became his favorite target towards the end of the season. So, 
I think there's a lot to be said with you know what the players in the locker room you know how they feel about Sam Bradford and you know the quarterback situation um, in total. Of course, does Bradford want to be back? Yeah, that's a big question as well. You know, he got to spend a year in Philadelphia. Does he want to be the long-term right. answer as the Eagles quarterback, or does he maybe say, "I'll go wherever I'm going to have to new, learn a new offense, whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere." So maybe it's who pays me the most money. You know, because I think at the end of last season, he was saying, well, if the offense was the same, that would be nice to be in the same system two years in a row. That's not going to happen. So what would be best for him? Has it been every year of his career that he's had a new offense? How many uh, years has he gone, how many times has he gone back-to-back in the same offense? I knew this during the season. I feel like he maybe, maybe had once. once in St. Louis. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that... Uh, Doug Peterson had the same situation with Alex Smith when they traded for Alex Smith. Alex Smith had had a new offense coordinator, a new system right. yeah. every year since going back to early Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's an interesting connection. Next question comes from Philly Marimball, or Phil, at Philly Marim BA11 on Twitter. Where does Jordan Hicks play in the 4-3, and is he healthy? We've seen him here around the facility. He's wrapping up his rehab. You know, he'll be good to go for... You know, off-season training, which begins first week of April. So, all good on that front. Um, everyone is projecting him to be the middle in the 4-3. And, and Dave and Ike Reese talked about this on the Eagles Live podcast. Does he need to bulk up more to play the position? Because typically you would want a thumper, especially in this type of scheme where you got to plug those gaps. Or is the NFL going to going the way of where you need coverage guys at those linebacker spots that you want maybe a guy who's a little more, you know, you know, quick, a little more swift there, middle linebacker. The new prototype is Michael Kendricks. Exactly. I'd like to say. Exactly. Are you going more of that route? So I would still think for, you know, the mentality he brings, the leadership, his ability to call plays, I still think that he's your Mike linebacker, you know, but does he need to bulk up? Can he bulk up? I would say yes. But I would at least, for now, project him to be the middle linebacker. That would be that would be my guess too. Yeah. I, I think that he's more than likely your starting Mike linebacker next year. I, I would say probably. I would agree with you guys. I, I, although I do think he said uh, in the locker room at the end of the season. I think he's played all three spots. Oh yeah. Uh, so he could probably play them all, but I yeah. think he, yeah. he may be most suited to play uh, in the middle. And the, the other thing to take into account with that discussion, I think it goes hand in hand, is. Michael Kendricks and Kiko Alonso, mm-hmm. where how do the how do you deploy those two guys? Because both are probably best fit at will. Does how do, does one move to play Sam? Does one of them move to play Mike, and then Jordan Hicks slides out to play Sam? I think that's an interesting discussion to have yeah. as well. All right, next question comes from Stephen Lee on Twitter. Wants to know if the Eagles don't plan on re-signing Thurman at safety, how does the team address this need? Um. It's a great. It's a great question because and I don't really have the answer to it at this point. Because you figure they're going to need to look obviously in free agency. You don't really want a rookie to come in and start at that position from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, especially you don't have the second round pick. You have other areas you would want to address. You know you don't want to say I want to spend a, a fourth round pick at safety and expect him to be your day one starter. Do you guys have? You have guys like Chris Maragos and Ed Reynolds who right. possibly could work in there and, and be stopgap starters on defense. But I think ideally you would want you know, to have a veteran come in, maybe someone who has experience playing in Schwartz's scheme. I don't know if any of those types of players are available on the market. Um, but to come in and 
help this defense right away. I, th I think the one name that comes to mind that played for Schwartz is uh, Louis Delmas, who played mm -hmm. for him in Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's had a lot, I know he's had a lot of injury issues and things of that nature. You know, you look at the safety position in free agency and, and just trying to think off the top of my head, uh, Titans just rela released Michael Griffin. Mm -hmm. I know he's a name the Eagles fans are talking about. Yep. Uh, Eric Berry is obviously a huge coming from Kansas City, where Peterson was just from. Can't imagine that he that he that they let him out the there. door. No, um, you know there there are some interesting names there. I know that uh, the uh, Abdullah kid, another Kansas City uh, player. Yeah. I think he may have just announced he's going to retire though, which was a surprise for some people. But um, no, there are some there are some names out there for the safety position. We're get, we're getting ready to film the the film room piece, uh, mm. the film room series, yes. I should say, previewing all the free agents at every position uh, coming this week. So look for that on the site coming well, next week. Uh, one of the names you mentioned that's pretty interesting is Michael Griffin because yeah. he played with Schwartz, right, yeah. in Correct. Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. Yeah. From, I think what O two to O eight. I think Jim Schwartz was in Tennessee, so he's been there. He's a guy that knows the Jim Schwartz system, so that could be an interesting uh, pick I don't, or an interesting player. But I don't know what the money's going to be there, how much money a guy like Michael Griffin's going to look for, a guy who's been a pro bowler in the past. So, um, But, you know, some of the names that are already on the roster, Chris Maragos, Ed Reynolds, you're going to look to build some depth there. Even if you say one of those guys you know, could be the starter, you're, you're comfortable with having one of those guys be the starter. But um, you're going to need some depth somewhere, and I think that maybe a veteran might be the, the preferred route there. Excited to do the film room series. Can't wait. With Greg Cosell. Cannot wait. I'm ready to learn. The uh, next question comes from Matthew. Goes by at really dancing on Twitter. Can we get Brock Osweiler in free agency? I mean, is That's interesting. Is it possible? Yeah. Sure. Definitely. Well, is Denver going to let him go? Well, that's the thing. Is that, I mean, I don't, I don't know that they're going to let him go. You assume Peyton's moving on. Right. You've invested the high draft pick. You've brought him along. He started for you at times. It's like, was there? There was a report on Monday that said something along the lines of they're going to wait to negotiate out of respect for Manning. Like they're basically going to let him make his call, and then they're going to resign yeah. him. I bizarre. I have a hard time believing that th that John Elway doesn't already know what Peyton Manning's going to do. Of course, or yeah. at least he's pretty sure of what he's going to yeah. do. Yeah. So. I don't know. I think the I think the only way that Osweiler would leave Denver is if some team, the Rams or somebody like that, just throws a crazy number at him and says, you know, we want you to be our guy. And we, you know, he has a, a limited body of work, but you know, he he proved to be a, a pretty reliable uh, player in Denver's offense this year. So, I think if a team comes along and does that, then that's the only way he's leaving. But I think, I mean, look, he, they just won the Super Bowl. They have an incredible defense. Um, I mean, they have some holes to fill, but I, I, if you're Brock Osweiler and Denver wants you to stay, you've spent the first however many years of your career there, I think it's going to be tough to lure them away. Yeah. And their window to win is right now. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you don't want to bring in a rookie who's going to have to learn and you know try to keep things afloat while the defense is at its peak. Mm -hmm. Now's the time for them to capitalize and take advantage and try to see how much winning they can do during this time period. Uh, next question comes from... At the Hollinger on Twitter, any chance the Eagles bring Brandon Boykin back? And I like this question just because is Brandon Boykin, was that just a, a Chip Kelly just didn't like him? That Chip Kelly was the main reason that Boykin was sent to Pittsburgh for a draft pick? And, you know, maybe, maybe the new brass, new regime think that, hey, we need a nickel corner. Could be. Could be interesting. Howie Roseman drafted him, so 
I mean, exactly. it, the familiarity is there, and I think Brandon Boykin was a really good player in his time here, especially in 2013. He had a really an unbelievable year. He sealed the NFC East title uh, in that finale against Dallas. So, um, And I also think it depends on if Brandon wants to be a slot corner or right. if he wants to play outside. Yeah. Because I, you know, we talked about the Eagles secondary earlier in the podcast and what it looks like right now. And you know, if you go into it with Maxwell and Rowe as you're assuming they're going to be your stars on the outside, is Boykin going to be willing to say, "All right, I'm I'm going to stay in that slot corner role, and you know, I'm I can be really good at it." So yeah. I think it depends on what where he wants to play and what he where he values himself. True, and whether he's just soured on the idea of coming back to Philly after the way things ended. Right. Too. Uh, so we have time for a couple more. We do. Well, we do. We have one more. Okay. And, and this is when we say mailing it in. We, we, we're taking this one literally. Okay. Uh, this is a letter we got late October this year. Right? Not and an email. Not an email. This, not is, a, this is a hard letter, and this was great. Uh, so Mary at the front desk got, got the letter, and she, and she had to show it to me, and it was out, outstanding. So we wanted to be able to share it here. We had to ask for permission, and it took some time to get it all squared away. But uh, to the Eagles football team, I wanted to send you this picture. My son Dalton had to write about a lesson he had learned for school. This is his response, and we have a photo that's attached. The teacher loved it so much. She sent it to all of her friend, all of her teacher friends. Huge Eagles fan. Loves watching all the shows and watching the games. He's a huge, huge Eagles fan. And so I'm going to read you the the, the lesson that that little Dalton learned. Okay. Okay. The lesson. The the assignment was: think of a time when you learned a lesson as a result of your behavior. Describe what you did and the lesson that you learned. How did the actions affect what you learned? Okay. So that's the that's the the assignment from the teacher. Okay. Here is Dalton's response. One time I was at a really cool restaurant and I was watching a football game that was on TV and it was Cowboys versus Seahawks and I saw a man that was an Eagles fan. He was wearing all Eagles clothing and he was cheering for the Cowboys. I learned don't trust other people. (laughs) (laughs) That is outstanding. I love that. As soon as I read that I said, wow, we we have to share that on on the podcast and it's uh, a true, true Eagles fan that's learning lessons at such a young age. It's good parenting. It's, it's such a heartwarming story. Don't trust other people. Don't trust other people. It's a good lesson. You couldn't say it any better. No. It, does, uh, how, how old is uh, Dalton here? Does it say what he's uh, It does not say how old he is. I want to say that he is... <laughs> Senior uh, in high school. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know how old he is or what grade he's in, but I would guess he's probably in uh, you know, first, second, third grade. Smart guy. Yeah. There you go. Um... I'll share this story along those lines. While watching the Super Bowl with my kids, they, my oldest son Julian proposed, which of these would you rather have happened? The Cowboys win the Super Bowl or a football team run by Donald Trump win the <laughs> Super Bowl? And I was just like, Son, that's brilliant, but I'll take the Trump one because I don't want the Cowboys. That was, one a, that was a heavy question. I yeah, know. I know. Man, diving into deep Julian's deep big issues. on politics. Exactly. Right. So, not to get too political here on the <laughs> podcast, but uh, it's just funny how seeing young fans like Dalton and my boys growing up now, how they get influenced by different things. And, you know, that's why Super Bowls become an issue because you start wondering, oh, God, are they going to see Denver winning, Carolina winning? Are they going to start, you know, creeping into... Well, that's where good parenting it? comes into play. Certainly. Sure. No question about it. And then they just laugh at me. Like, where are the Eagles, Daddy? Where are the Eagles? <laughs> Next year, son, all right? Next year. There you go. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Again, thank you very much for listening, downloading, however 
you are getting this information. Special shout out again to Brian Thomas and Mark LeBlanc for making things happen behind the scenes. For Alex Smith and Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Thank you once again. We will not be back next week, so you have to wait two weeks for the next edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast.